Welcome to this episode of the Anti-Woke Podcast. Here we fight for truth, justice, and the American way, instead of feelings, social justice, and the Disney way. Well, that should give you a decent idea what's going on. Let's do some house cleaning. Anti-Woke Podcast at Twitter and YouTube. Links are in the description. YouTube has shadow banned me, so that's how to find me. Uh, please subscribe and just play the video and leave the room. Helps with the algorithm. Now, my podcast host is Spotify, so if you have that, you can leave comments and uh, do a poll. I got one comment to last week's podcast. Uh, Dan said, great, no punctuation. So thanks, Dan. And 10 listeners replied to my poll question, do you support sending weapons to Ukraine? Two of them chose yes, and eight of them chose no. And this week's question will be about Republican nominees for president, with possible selections being Trump, Pence, um, Ramaswamy, DeSantis, some other Republican, or some Democrat. And I'll probably do a Democrat version of the poll at a later date. Okay, enough of that. Let's start by joking around with stuff you should never joke around with. Bad Jew, put that down. I'm tired of white Barbies and black Barbies. I want a Filipino Barbie, a Latina Barbie, an Armenian Barbie. Instagram's Twitter clone, Twitter killer threads came out. And the question is, what's more addictive? Looking at clothing you want to buy or calling people racist? You thought the great replacement theory was only replacing whites in America? Well, think again, because the Arabs in North Africa are being replaced. Is it still just a theory? It's time to get excited for the new Disney movie, Snow White and the Seven Black Women. Alright, that's enough joking around. Let's cover some shorter topics. Uh, the California legislature decided not to add child sex trafficking to the three strikes law. I believe that means if you commit three felonies of that category, then you get life in prison. And they chose not to add it because it would have disproportionately affected disadvantaged groups. And I looked up some stats on this. I didn't write them down. Take it with a grain of salt. I think underage black girls were three times as likely to be trafficked. And then black men were five times as likely to be traffickers. And this is compared to their proportion of the population per capita. I think whites and Hispanics were half as likely as you would expect. And then Asians, I don't even think they showed up on it. Like you hear stories about, you know, Vietnamese women found in a shipping container and being sold into slavery in America. But apparently, if that really happens, it's so rare that it just doesn't show up in the stats. And it's been hot across one third of America. So if you hear it in, if you know if you're having problems going Celsius to Fahrenheit, here's a trick for you. 28 Celsius is the same as 82 Fahrenheit. So 28, 82, reverse the digits and 4104. So reverse the last two digits. And the Stanford Dean of Diversity, I think just for the law school, she resigned. She's gone. I talked about her in a podcast a couple of months ago if you want to know more. 
And the president of Texas A&M University just resigned because she got caught up in a... She was promoting some person to be in charge of diversity, and then the board of directors, I think, for the university said, that's shady, we don't want a racist diversity person put in there. So I think that the diversity person did not get the job, and then the president was forced out. And the president of Stanford was forced out also. It wasn't for diversity stuff, but it's interesting. Like, are they going to put a, a less woke person in charge of Stanford? And probably they are going to put a less woke person in charge of Texas A&M, which I believe is the number two university in Texas. So stuff is afoot. And reminder, um, I think like seven executives across various, you know, Netflix, Disney, other studios, movie studios, have gotten rid of their DEI diversity people. And I was listening to a couple comedians big enough to have their own specials on Netflix and whatnot. Um, it was Mark Normand on the Theo Vaughn YouTube podcast. And they were saying right now comedy is going through a boom, like big stadiums, big crowds, and comedians are feeling like they can say controversial stuff. And I don't have specific stats on that, but Mark Norman, who is definitely not politically correct, um, he came out with a special like two years ago, and no one would buy it, and he had to just put it for free on YouTube. But his special that came out a month ago, Netflix bought it. And ESG, that woke thing where companies are forced to discriminate against whites and do stuff for climate change, forced by, um, you know, basically the financial industry. Well, of the 500 biggest companies, they put out their yearly mission statement or whatever it is, and it went from 150 of them talking up their ESG stuff last year to about 70 of them talking it up this year. And I don't think that means discrimination against white males has instantly been cut in half, but I think they're not as proud of their discrimination anymore, which is possibly the first step towards change. And the Biden administration stopped funding virus research at the Wuhan lab, you know, the, the place where COVID came from. And I think they said they're thinking about never funding research there again. I mean, it's crazy. Like, we may have been funding gain-of-function research on the next pandemic up until this week. And it makes me think, Fauci said they were not funding gain-of-function research. And that was because he changed the definition of it so that he could say they're not doing it. You know, like, oh, yeah, we're, we're funding add-a-function, but not gain-of-function. Same thing Twitter did a while, a while back before Elon Musk. They put out some definitions, and they said, shadow ban a 100% complete and utter ban. And then they were able to say, oh, we're not shadow banning, you know, we're not shadow banning conservatives. And they came up with some other name. It was like visibility throttling or visibility restricting, restrict, blah, restricting. And so you didn't know to ask them, are you visibility restricting conservatives? In which case, they wouldn't have answered, but the, the answer would have been, oh, like crazy, of course. Jason Aldean's single, Try That in a Small Town, hit number one. He's a country singer that I'm not familiar with, but the internet says he's worth 50 to 100 million dollars, so I think he's pretty famous. And I think I did hear about this. He happened to be the guy on stage at that country music com concert in Las Vegas where 61 people were killed. 
And I think he said America should look into some sort of gun control because of that, but whatever woke credibility he got out of that, that's gone. Because country music television banned his video, which is what made the thing more famous and shoot to number one. And I had to look it up, but yeah, country music television, their annual awards show last week had, last week, last year, had transgender, what, women, dancers. And they're owned by Paramount. Anyways, they've gotten woke. And will they go broke? Who knows? Um, they probably don't want to be censoring a song that's all about how the countryside is good when the, when the name of their channel is country music. But let me just read you some lyrics from the song and you'll get the idea. Sucker punch somebody on a sidewalk. Carjack an old lady at a red light. Pull a gun on the owner of a liquor store. You think it's cool, well, act like a fool if you like. Cuss out a cop, spit in his face, stomp on the flag and light it up. Yeah, you think you're tough? Well, try that in a small town. See how far you make it down the road. And the music video has video of Antifa people rioting and you know, people robbing liquor stores and getting punched out by other customers. Accusations of racism abounded. I think false ones. I don't know. It depends if it's fundamentally racist to call out Black Lives Matter. I mean, they knew to only show pictures of Antifa rioting, but the lyrics show that they're talking about Black Lives Matter riots. Vivek Ramaswamy has become third place in the Republican thing for president. He moved ahead of Mike Pence in national polls. And he's, I mean, he says the same stuff I say. He, he wrote a book called Woke Inc. He started a investment banking company that's anti-ESG. And now he passed up Mike Pence for third. Um, I don't know. It would not, we'll see, we'll see. He might be able to pass up DeSantis or something. I mean, how many anti-woke people can you have? And then Trump wins. But I could see Vivek being Trump's vice president. Apparently they're still friendly between the two of them. And I have a rule of not listening to politicians because all they do is lie. But he knows he can't be president, or at least not yet, without being vice president first. So he's, he's, still telling, he's currently telling the truth. And his parents were Brahmins, which is the highest caste that moved here from India. And he's Harvard undergrad... Yale Law School, which is the better direction compared to DeSantis, who is Yale than Harvard. And he's a practicing Hindu, which makes him pro-life. I don't understand how that works, but other than being pro-life, it sounds like me and him would have probably the same opinion on almost everything. I know, he's, it seems like a couple of his biggest things are pro-free speech and pro-America. He thinks immigrants and high school students should have to pass a civics test about why America's good. He doesn't think a wall is enough because they got tunnels underneath the wall, so he wants to send the military down there. And he thinks there should be a settlement in Ukraine right now, just freeze the lines of control, and what Russia has now, they get to keep. And in return, Russia has to give up friends with being, with being friends with China. And he wants to protect Taiwan from China until we complete building the uh, computer chip foundries in America, in which case, whatever, America can go its own way. Uh, Trump said he's 
gonna be indicted by Jack Smith a second time for January 6th stuff. I mean, we shall see. And the first indictment, I think they're trying to go to trial in December, so I don't know when that is. I think that's after the primaries have been going for a while, but way before the November election. And Trump's lawyers are saying, hey, you know, I'm too busy running for president. You need to do it after the election. Do the trial. And I think his lawyers also said uh, he wants to do it after the election because he'll be president then and he'll just squash the uh, case. You know, he'll be, a, he'll, be, he'll be in charge of the DOJ. But like I say, the current, DO, the current Biden DOJ, they want to do it in December. And that's all fine. But here's the thought that I had. I'd like to see Biden go to prison. I mean, only if he's done bad stuff, but I'm pretty sure he has. I mean, he's not being investigated because, you know, he doesn't investigate himself. And so the thing that will increase the chances of Biden going to prison the most would be Trump going to prison. I mean, right there, you're setting up a precedent. Uh, the precedent is, you know, pretty much after the president is out, out of office, you send him to prison. So, you know, you probably have to wait on Biden. Or, if Trump wins the election, if Trump goes to prison, he wins the election from prison, then not only do you have the precedent of throwing ex-presidents into prison, but you'd have a really pissed off president <laughs> who just went to prison who may really make sure that the DOJ came down like a ton of bricks on Biden. Anyways, just a fun anti-woke fever dream I had. Let's talk economics. I was listening to the recent Economics Explained podcast. Uh, a recent estimate says that there is one quadrillion dollars worth of stuff in the world today. And that's land and houses and oil and, you know, pocket lint. It's everything. And, you know, billion, buy, bicycle, two, trillion, tri, triangle, three. So quad is four. I don't know why, it, well, it's not square, square trillion, but, and then the estimate for global debt is 300 trillion. So about a third of the wealth is owed. So that's the average, you know, think of it what you will, um, or, you know, forget those numbers. Forget all those numbers right now. Probably, probably will not help you get laid, ladies. But so America has about half that amount of debt compared to its wealth. So I guess we're doing all right. And you hear a lot about, you know, national debt, but I don't know. Some people think what's important is not how much you owe, but how much your interest payment is. And so America's interest payment is actually not that crazy. Interest rates are down. I mean, they're up recently compared to being super low a few years ago, but overall, they're pretty low. Even when they're high now, they're still low. And so America is not paying that much interest, even today. I'm about to talk about physics and antimatter, and the first thing I'm going to do is use the wrong words between proton and positron. So take me seriously, but not literally. Just let it wash over you. Don't worry about it, and there's not going to be a test. So it'll make sense at the end, or just skip ahead five minutes, and you won't even have to worry about it. Let's throw in a little physics talk. Um, antimatter. It's a real thing. And surface level, it's matter, it's stuff, but it's the opposite. 
So the antimatter version of an electron is called the proton. Electron has a negative charge, proton has a positive charge. The opposite of a proton is an antiproton. You know, what does that mean? Well, you know everything you need to know there, or go get a PhD in physics. But hydrogen is made out of a proton and an electron. Antihydrogen is made out of an antiproton and a positron. And it used to be mostly theoretical, but uh, the Large Hadron Collider, what is that? It's just a, it's a physics machine the size of a city. They've gotten it to make anti-hydrogen. It's the most expensive substance that humans have. I think, you know, enough anti-hydrogen to fit on the head of a pin would cost more than all the money in, an, in the world. And so you can have anti any type of matter, like for instance, anti-iron, which I'm gonna talk about later. So those are all forms of antimatter. And what's interesting about antimatter is if it touches normal matter, it explodes in a 100% perfect conversion to energy. It does the E equals MC squared perfectly. Like I don't remember the numbers, but I think the fission bomb, that's the kind that we dropped on Japan. I think that does maybe 10% of the full boom and modern bombs are fusion bombs and I think they do maybe 40% of the full boom. So antimatter is the thing that would do 100% of the full boom. And like I say, humans have created a little bit of anti-hydrogen. The problem with it is how do you store it? It has to be stored in a vacuum. Like if you put a bunch of anti-hydrogen in a normal matter jar, well, it will react with the walls of the jar and the whole thing will you know, perfectly convert into heat and explode like crazy. And I bring this all up because there's a podcast called Daniel and Jorge Explain the Universe. They talk physics. I used to listen to every episode. Um, and they're always saying, you know, you can write in or ask them on Twitter questions and they'll give you the answer to physics questions. And they will generally. I mean, it's better if you say that you're a kid and you're asking the question or, I mean, ideally, get a kid to ask the question you record that you want asked, record that question and send it in. They'll definitely answer that. And naturally, you know, I ask the questions that do not get answers. I asked them why they're always promoting female physicists, because, well, because they do. And the answer to that is no answer to that question. But the physics question I asked them was, what would happen if you had an, a fist-sized chunk of anti-iron and you just, you know, you just had it at sea level and it reacted with, I guess, the air around it. And to truly figure out the answer to that, you'd have to have access to a supercomputer that would do the modeling of the physics and it would cost tons of money and take a long time. And I think that's why they didn't answer the question because who knows, there's no specific paper that you can read that'll tell you that answer. You'd have to basically pay money. But I'm just gonna go through what maybe I think might happen. So at the beginning of the process, the air touches the chunk of anti-iron, and you get an explosion in all directions, going all you know, going out in all directions. But it's only going to be a one atom thick layer on the outside of the chunk that reacts with the air, and then that's going to like push the air away, and it's going to push in on the iron. So you know, now at this point, what happens? You know, this is why I was asking because I'm not sure, but you know, we got some options. It might compress the iron into a little black hole. I don't think so, but it's possible. In my imagination, the iron wasn't a perfect sphere, so 
it would probably just kind of, it might randomly shoot off in some direction or another and as it shot off in that direction it would be hitting air or if it went down hitting earth and whichever which whichever way it went it would kind of be like a it'd be kind of like a meteor that started on earth and every wherever it went it was like a nuclear bomb a streak of nuclear bomb explosion just heading in some direction and like i said it could go through the ground or buildings or air or water it would all be the same to it it just whatever it went through it would just be more explosion it doesn't it wouldn't bounce off of anything unless unless what happens is it starts shooting off and what it does is it bounces off of everything including air like the initial explosion just turns the iron into you know maybe sand size chunks of anti-iron which go flying around and when they hit stuff they get turned into you know even smaller chunks of anti-iron and so the whole thing just expends all of its energy at once and is you know basically just goes off like a much larger nuclear bomb so that's my guess it basically turns the powder and mixes with the air and the ground and whatever's around it and just blows up all at once but i don't know so you know there's a little physics corner for you the npr politics podcast is doing some classic lying about immigration this week and the classic way that media outlets lie about it is they talk about the asylum seekers but they don't mention the gotaways. So asylum seekers, they come across the border, they turn themselves into the authorities. The authorities say, come back for a court hearing 10 years from now, and then they never show up for the court hearing and they get to live in America for the rest of their lives. And there's tons of them and that works pretty good. You know, like the women and the kids in particular go that route. And then the ones you never hear about is the gotaways. Those are the people who just, you know, they head into America. They don't mention, they don't tell the authorities that they're heading on in. They just, they just head on in. And, you know, same result. And no, no one knows exactly how many gotaways there are. Not because it's that difficult to figure out, but because no one wants to know. Remember, Republicans and Democrats both agree 100% maximum amount of illegal immigration is good. Because they hate the poor and they love the rich. And that's the result. But so the number of asylum seekers right now is down. We don't know about the gotaways, but so, you know, NPR mentioned that. They don't mention the gotaways. And so that's like saying, you know, the amount of calories in a Big Mac, large fries, large Coke, Happy Meal is a thousand calories. And then, you know, you get real fat and years later, you're like, man, is that really a thousand calories? They're like, yeah, yeah, it's a thousand calories in the Big Mac. And you're like, well, what about the fries and the drink? You're like, oh, no, we don't, we don't, th th that's gotaways. Those are gotaway calories. We don't tell you that. And you're like, holy crap, the gotaways doubles the amount of calories. So the Biden administration has a new rule. Uh, you have to use an app on your phone to apply for asylum, and you can't cross the border until the app tells you when it's time. And I think they're only doing, I mean, only in quotes, 40,000 people a month. So that's a half million. I think last year maybe there was a million and a half asylum and maybe a million or more gotaways. So we don't know if, you know, you restrict the number of asylum seekers, does that mean the number of gotaways is shooting through the roof? We don't know. Obviously NPR is not mentioning that. And this is all pretty much my normal rant with a little bit of new information, but there was one interesting part of it. The asylum seeker has to have a cell phone. And this part I'm not sure on, but it sounds like they don't just say 40,000 on the first of the month. They 
open maybe 1,400 slots each day. So now you need a cell phone and you want a fast internet connection, like 5G, baby. And so average this out over a large number of people, I mean, to put it bluntly, you're gonna get a higher quality of illegal immigrant. Like, I think there's lots of Chinese immigrants coming over illegally, um, Russians who don't wanna fight in the war, Ukrainians who don't wanna fight in the war. If you can pay to fly thousands of miles, you can probably pay, uh, I don't know, what's Verizon now? 100 bucks a month for a good connection. And like Central American women and their children, are you leaving behind an abusive partner who is worthless and gives you no money? Or are you heading into America where you got a husband waiting for you who's got plenty of cash to buy 5G for you? I've been trying to steal man various woke ideas. I kind of have a series. This will be the third time. So what is the best argument in favor of transgender kid stuff? Well, let's start with adults. Um, you know, I want to do whatever the heck it is I want to do. So basically, I'm like, everyone should be able to do what they want to do. I just say that because of how, I, how that affects me. And I think parents have a lot of control over their kids, including transgender stuff. So, I mean, you know, parents get to choose where kids live, where they go to school, uh, their religion. I mean, if you want to teach your kid that jihad is good, uh, you can. You know, in this podcast, I use Islam as the example of religion to criticize. I mean, you know, I'm sure I could come up with some bad stuff that Christianity does, but, you know, the media, academia, everyone in power is already criticizing Christianity, usually false accusations. So I just do Islam. You know, maybe after 9-11, I probably would have been going easy on Islam and would have flipped it. But anyways, so if you're a parent, you get to control a lot of stuff for your kid. And if, you know, it doesn't have to be based in reality at all. Uh, you know, Muhammad did not really marry a nine-year-old, even though it says that in the book. Because he didn't exist. Whoops, spoiler alert. So the science is not conclusive yet, but it looks like a lot of the kids who think they're transgender, they're not actually, you know, some brain chemistry thing has gone wrong and they're the, you know, they have the brain of a bo girl and the body of a boy or whatever. Like that's, it seems like maybe that happens very rarely, but that's not the general case. And so even though parents believe that it is a real common thing now, you know, woke parents, uh, like I say, just because they're wrong doesn't mean you can't do stuff to your kid or encourage them or whatever. Makes me think of a story. I think when I was, I was about 18 years old, I had a buddy, same age, and one time he'd walked into this Asian mini mart and he's like, oh, today's my birthday. And you know, it was his birthday. He was 17 or something when he walked in that day. He said, today's my birthday. And the worker there was like oh how old are you and he thought for a second he said i'm 21. so me and him used to go to that store and buy 40s of saint ides it's like old english anyways it's just a cheap gangster rap song type of alcohol so on the weekends me and my buddy we would get some 40s and then he had a friend who was you know maybe 20 years old or something and had an apartment 
and we'd go hang out at his place. And that guy had a girlfriend with a toddler, probably two years old. And this is Portland, Oregon. So we were all, it wasn't white trash. That's not what you had in Portland back in 1992, but we were a little bit criminal or something. So anyways, the girl, she had left the dad of the baby, but she'd been with him for a while. And whoever the dad was, he was not a good person. And he had taught this toddler to drink 40s. Maybe the kid was three, I don't remember. But anyways, you know, I didn't, they didn't tell me that. The way I learned that was I was over there with, I was over there drinking my 40 and I set my 40 down and I went off and did something. And then when I turned around, this little two and a half year old or whatever had grabbed my 40 and was just chugging it. I think I just kind of watched in shock. Uh, I don't know if the mom said something. I don't remember if the mom said something funny like, you know, Johnny, put down that 40 and then took it away or what not. Anyways, that kid would be in their early 30s now and I hope they're doing well. Um, I mean, they had a mom and a dad who didn't let them drink alcohol even though he wanted to. My point is, the original dad of this kid um, was, you know, abusing that kid, I guess. And But it's illegal. You know, there's a law against it. You cannot give 40s to your toddler. I'm pretty sure that's a law. In fact, I got charged and convicted, or whatever, of that law. Uh, what was it? Con contributing to the delinquency of a minor. I was at a high school party once where I was 18, and everyone else was like 17, and they busted my ass. It wasn't much. It was like $50 fine or something. Anyways, in a democracy, we've made laws saying you can't give alcohol to your toddler, and I think everyone agrees that's a good thing, and, and that law should be used, etc., and I guess currently we don't have a law saying you can't make your kids trans. Which in a free country kind of means you can make your kids trans. Or encourage them. Like, you know, the mom didn't give the kid the 40. I accidentally let the kid get my 40. So that's maybe more how, you know, but she still probably had a legal requirement to take the 40 away. So that's probably more how, how it works with trans stuff. There is no legal requirement to take away the 40 of transgender, 40 ounces of trans, uh, from your kid. If you were a sipper back then, that was an insult we used to use, then you might get a deuce-deuce, which meant 22, and that was the 22 ounces of Mickey's with different malt liquor. So if, you're, if your kid is a sipper, they might just have a deuce-deuce of trans, and then drop a deuce, but anyways. Okay, that's not a great steel man. So what is really going on with transgender kids? So, first off, I think for the kids themselves, it's cool. You get to be special. It's like, you know, I had friends who were goth. You know, they'd dress up in black clothing and listen to certain kinds of music. In middle school, we had the stoners and the preps. That was the two cliques. And, you know, you had a sense of belonging and you were kind of against the world. You know, if you were a stoner, I was in the stoners. You'd you're, you know, you're kind of shaking your fist at the world saying, I don't know what, something, something nerdy, something stupid, trying not to be nerdy. So, you know, I wouldn't say the kids can't be in the preppy group. I mean, they can be in the stoner group too. They probably shouldn't get stoned, but they can be in a group like that. And for a lot of them, that's just what being queer is. It's just, 
it's just a group and they even though their group actually has all the power in america and is crushing the anti-woke people um anyways they get the they think they're shaking the fists at america and fighting for justice and stuff now if you were a preppy and you wore too many polo shirts and i don't know too much uh time looking in the mirror making yourself look good you know thing is there's no permanent repercussions for the rest of your life and then the stoner side you may have a permanent you know alcoholism or something but that's against the law okay to the point what's going on is that people in power scientists media etc they're afraid of getting called racist against gay people and so they are saying that kids are trans and being trans is good and if they're not trans they're going to commit suicide even though that is most likely very very likely to not be true but true or not the parents a lot of them believe that stuff and so then they let their kid be trans they're like i don't want a dead daughter i'd rather have a live son so i think right okay we're getting a little steel manny here i understand where the kids are coming from they just want to Whatever, shake their fist at the world and be a little different. You know, it's just that's just a rite of passage. The current one is a little weird. Transgender is a pretty weird-ass one to do, but that's what they're doing. And then the parents, I mean, you know, they didn't all go to graduate school doing statistics and probability like I did. So, you know, plus have a podcast where they run through their thoughts and emotions and look up the science and blah, blah, like me. So, you know, they're just doing their best. You know, if the New York Times tells them this is the thing to do, I mean, I don't blame them for not knowing better at all. And exactly how many kids will have their lives ruined and how ruined their lives will actually be, I mean, we don't know. The jury's still out on that. I mean, there was probably 10 kids in the stoners group I was in in middle school. Like, I have no idea, you know, how many of those people are alive. They may be, you know, half of them may be dead or addicted to stuff you know maybe trans maybe actually much less harmful i don't know and if the new york times had told the parents of these stoner kids that being a stoner was good i mean i don't know they probably they probably would have believed it you know that's the other thing parents know that you know they, they are alcoholics they know that drinking alcohol is not good but they're not transgender so they don't really have a point of reference to say oh going down that path is not the right thing for my kid well, hell, let's go up another level. I mean, people don't want to lose their jobs, lose their house, lose their family, lose their everything. And so that's what may happen to you if you go against the trans narrative. And so I even understand why the people at the New York Times are being all pro-trans kids. And I think, you know, so far I've been kind of talking more about like the extreme chopping off body parts, taking hormones kind of kids. Most of them don't ever go there. Uh, whatever. Their lives will not be permanently ruined by medical interventions. We don't know. We don't know how, they're, how it's going to affect their life. I mean, most of the queer kids today in America are girls, probably from somewhere around middle school to, you know, probably like 15 to 25 ages. And like to go back to that mom whose kid liked 40s, and, you know, if she, if that mom had been a kid today, she probably, good chance, she just would have, you know, she would have been some sort of queer and would have just 
had a girlfriend instead of a boyfriend, which that baby wouldn't have ever liked 40s, wouldn't have been born. And then probably, you know, decided she was straight in her 20s and then got a man and raised the kid better. And I guess that dad who enjoyed teaching his kid to drink 40s, today he would be, he wouldn't be getting no girl because there wouldn't be as many girls out there and he'd be playing video games. So, I mean, video games are pretty fun. Uh, and I don't know. Probably depends on the game, depends on the girl, which is more fun. Well, so to sum up, uh, it's tricky. It's one thing to say you can do what you want. Uh, it's another thing to let kids do what they want. And so that's the steal, man. Uh, the answer is, it's tricky. Uh, you know, if you're on one side all the way or the other side all the way, um, it's not that easy. I mean, that's makes it easy for you, but it's not really that easy. NPR's Up First had a segment on Tunisia saying that their president is racist. So that's kind of fun. And I like to follow Tunisia because they were the first country in the Arab Spring. I think that was around 2013. And the Arab countries, they had dictators and that's a threat to democracy. And so we got to see what would happen if you installed democracy in a bunch of those Arab countries. And the answer is they became total shitholes. I mean, I imagine America got involved in every single one of those Arab countries and their stuff, but the more famous ones are Syria. We backed the rebels against the dictator, and I think our rebels turned out to be, you know, beheading Muslim terrorists. And Syria got totally destroyed. They had some nice parts of that country. And a whole bunch of them moved to Europe. And then a whole, you know, maybe a, maybe, you know, a million or two moved to Europe. And then a few million of them live in Turkey now in like tent camps. They've been there for 10 years or something. But I think actually, luckily for them, Russia was friends with the dictator there. This is not a pro-Russia thing. This is a pro-dictator thing. And they still have their dictator. So actually Syria has some parts that are... I don't know, you know, they have stores. You can, go, you can go to a store and buy something still. And then another country was Libya, who uh, the dictator there was Gaddafi. I think America's hated Gaddafi since like the 80s. I think, I think Gaddafi, I don't know, he was friends with Russia or something. I don't know why we hated him so much, but we hated him for decades. And it's pretty crazy, but Libya, you know, they didn't talk, you know, the American media didn't talk about this part of Libya. But Gaddafi used the oil money from Libya and he provided like free health care, free education, I think all the way up through college. Um, they had like clean water infrastructure, like they had a lot of nice stuff there. But anyways, they were, Gaddafi was a threat to democracy. America got involved with some rebels, we overthrew that. And now instead of like free college for everyone, I think they brought back like real honest to God slavery. And I don't know, I checked on the price maybe five years ago. I think you could buy a person, they're like 200 bucks, very cheap. And you know, white Americans are obviously super racist. They're basically slave owners. You'd think that we would have gone over, they would have gone over there and bought a bunch of people, but somehow they didn't. Apparently it's more trouble than it's worth. Or America isn't full of racists and it's a false accusation. 
But Tunisia, they're, they're at the top of Africa, across the Mediterranean from Europe. I think it kind of goes, Morocco is across from France, and then Tunisia is across from Italy, and then you keep heading to the right, you got, you know, all the other Arab countries. But most of the Arab countries just instantly turned into civil war and everyone was starving. But Tunisia looked like maybe they could be a democracy. Well, in fact, I think they were. They were a democracy. They kind of are, still are. They got rid of the dictator. Their economy went to total collapse. I mean, you know, life for Tunisians got destroyed, got utterly destroyed by getting rid of the dictator. But they did get to vote on stuff for, I guess, the last 10 years. And the most recent democratically elected person is like, you know what, I'm just going to be a dictator. And this part I'm not sure, but I think life has actually started getting a little bit better for the Tunisians. Somehow a dictator is better. And obviously this goes against, you know, what Europe and America believes in, so we're not happy. It doesn't matter if the people are starving, it's, you know, how is this a democracy that's going to help us in our fight against Russia and China? But so Europe is paying Turkey to stop all the people who want to move to Europe. Um, and now they want to pay Tunisia to stop all the people who want to move to Europe. I think they get on a boat, hop on a boat, you know, with too many people and a lot of them capsize and everyone dies. And then they head over to Italy. And Italy, like, voted in a right-wing government specifically to stop immigration. I don't think it has worked. Generally, the European Union countries that want to stop immigration um, get overruled by the European Supreme Court. I think that's probably what's happening to Italy. Or maybe they just said they wanted to stop it, and then they didn't actually do it because they wanted to undercut workers' wages in Italy. I don't know. But here's the funny part. So NPR is talking about Tunisia's president, and they're saying that he's a racist conspiracy theorist because he's been talking about the Great Replacement Theory. Like in America, the theory is that there's a conspiracy, it's not just people, you know, voting with their feet, that, you know, people from shithole brown countries are moving to America. And I think some people think the Jews are in charge of it. I mean, Israel has ghettos full of Ethiopian Jews, so whatever. If it were a real thing, they'd be doing it to themselves, but it's not a real thing. I will say, I don't know how a bunch of Ethiopians, you know, a thousand years later, ended up being Jewish, or, you know, praying to whatever, using the Torah instead of the Bible or something else, probably Muslim stuff. But that has worked out well for them because Israel lets Jews in. But so America's got its great replacement theory, but um, apparently it's... You know, in Africa, Afri you know, just think of, you know, Africa, from the bottom of Africa to the top of Europe, basically you just go from darker skin to lighter skin. And it looks like it's not just the brown skinned people in the middle moving to Europe, it's the darker skinned people below that moving up to the light, you know, blacks are moving to brown, brown are moving to white, to put it bluntly, obviously. And so I guess some of the brown countries are like, the great replacement is here for us. That's amusing. And what should be done about this? I mean, there's definitely a bunch of bad countries, and if you move from a bad country to a good country, it makes your, your life better. It doesn't help the people in the good country, and it hurts the country that you leave. I mean, this is the classic problem for almost everything in the world, which is 
Sometimes you can help yourself a bunch. You just have to hurt a giant group of people a little bit. And overall, it leads to everyone's hurt. So I think, you know, artificial intelligence is going to be here before we solve any of this stuff. But, you know, we should probably try and solve it anyways in case that ain't true. So I think first off, you know, the who's moving? It's the hardest working, most industrious, you know, the, what are, hard, you know the, the smart, hardworking, industrious people are the ones who are moving. And so we need to stop them from moving. They need to, unfortunately, be forced to stay in their bad country and work on fixing that up which luckily helps out the poor people in the nice countries. Second off, for 70 years, you know, the only thing that matters about a poor country was how could they help us in our fight against Russia and now China. And so we need to, we're not going to stop doing that at all, but that's, we should, we should stop doing that if we want to help out these poor countries. And finally, a couple of years ago, I made a podcast, I think I called it Governments R.S. Maybe call it Dictators R.S. Uh, we should change international law so that some sort of corporations can go in and run these shithole countries. Like you overthrow a country, you overthrow a dictator in a country. Now they got democracy. You should allow them to vote for a corporation. You know, unfortunately, run by white and Asian males. And if the voters in that country say, "Yeah, we want this corporation to come in and run our country," we should allow that. And they should probably be able to hire people with guns and whatever and not do stuff super diverse, but actually do stuff that works. I mean, basically, they can't, they can, you know, the first priority should not be going to this country and promoting LGBTQ rights, which is, that's basically exactly what we would do with the people in charge now. But it should be helping out the people so that they have jobs and food so they're not starving. And the company would have to be based on the profit motive. They get money, you know, from the natural resources. They get to keep a certain amount of that money based on, you know, maybe child poverty. As child poverty goes down, they get to keep more of the oil money. Something like that. Some where the in incentives are aligned to help out the people. And a lot of the countries in Africa, I mean, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work in the worst countries in Africa. In particular, the, the black African countries... They have, you know, their tribes go beyond being tribes. Like, they're, they're different races, right? They are more genetically different one tribe to another than, you know, whites are from East Asians or whatever, anything outside of Africa. So these countries are not just divided into different tribes. They are divided into different races. And usually there's, like, one race that controls the country and gets all the wealth for themselves and you know trying to convince them that they want to, that they need to share that wealth with all the other races in their country uh no you know they're like there's they're subhuman f them they're not going to do it so forget about those countries but you know maybe these arab some of these maybe tunisia tunisia would be a good place to start but anyway some of the some of the nicer countries if if one of them ever votes in the corporation and then that country becomes real nice afterwards then another country will vote in a corporation. Anyways, something that I think should be tried. And if it doesn't work, it ain't no worse than taking a place from free college down to honest-to-God slavery. Three or four weeks ago, I had a segment covering Jews in America. And I think I left off with Jews became white 
um, after World War II because they were able to take advantage of the GI Bill and buy houses in the suburbs. And this information is coming from the June 20th episode of American Prestige Podcast. Far left podcast. It's good. So young male American Jews fought in the army during World War II. They came back and they were magically white now. And I don't think they lived in the South, but I guess if they did live in the South, they were part of the problem. Now, they don't spell out the timeline, but anyways, there's three kinds of Jews in America at this point. There's the German Jews, there's the Eastern European Jews, I think like Poland, Russia, uh, and then there's the Jews from Turkey. And it was those three groups in order of most white to least white. Like, you know, like the German Jews, one time I looked it up, because Jews in Germany before World War II, you know, they were like physics professors. Obviously an exaggeration, but you know, just how like, Nigerian immigrants are all Nigerian doctors, and then their kids use affirmative action to go to Harvard. Well, German Jews were all physics professors. And so one time I was like, I don't think physics professors were put on a train car like cattle and taken to the ovens. Anyway, so I looked it up, and the answer is they weren't. Do I have to say to put it bluntly? But, you know, there's a thing that you will find throughout history where you know, wealthy, educated, high-status people, bad stuff doesn't happen to them the same way as low-status people. And Red Scare is a famous anti-woke podcast. It's a couple uh, youngish German, not German, Jewish women. One of them's like a super attractive actress on the uh, TV show Succession. I mean, good pod, super famous pod. But anyways, one time they were like, they were talking about their own Jewish history. And one of the girls, was she, she had her DNA tested, and she was like, it's going to come back. You know, I had, she had this dream, it was going to come back, and she was going to be a high German Jew. And instead, the results came back, and she was a Eastern European potato-eating Jew. And I think the other one turned out to be part Armenian. And she's like, well, that's like, a, that's like a low IQ Jew. And it makes me think of, High fantasy, which is a genre of usually books. Um, Lord of the Rings is high fantasy. And it kind of means like, you know, it's, it's a whole different world. It's not Earth. And you have elves, and they're not like human beings. They're, you know, like kind of superhuman. And I don't know if it's just called fantasy or low fantasy, but that just means, you know, people with swords running around, but there isn't necessarily magic. So this is a joke, but... I kind of think of German Jews like the elves from Lord of the Rings. I mean, obviously, I'm kind of talking out of my ass here, but, you know, my pod, my ass. So the German Jews, they were Ashkenazi Jews. They were maybe the people who, you know, helped built the atomic bomb to end World War II. But I think they're also maybe like stereotypical, like, you know, a movie in the 1910s where you had like a German shop or no, a Jewish shopkeeper in... New York City, or a cobbler, like Geppetto. Was Geppetto a Jew? Probably was. And then the other bunch of Ashkenazi Jews were the Eastern European ones, like Poland. You know, like the people who were, the Jews that were killed in the Holocaust were Polish Jews. They killed a ton of them. I think millions, unlike Germany. So these were the potato-eating Jews, as they say on Red Scare. And, you know, they were coming from countries that were poorer and didn't have, like, 
you know, 500-year-old universities and whatnot. And so this is, okay, the timeline. I'm not clear on this, but I think maybe these Eastern European Jews started coming over a bunch after World War II, or maybe they'd done it somewhat before, I'm not sure. But the German Jews who were already here were kind of like embarrassed by these Eastern European Jews. You know, you're not fitting in. You're not acting like an American. You're not being like a white person. And then the third group was, I guess coming from Turkey, was the Sephardic Jews, which Israel today has Ashkenazi and Sephardic. And Sephardic are Middle Eastern Jews, and their skin is darker. Darker than, they're not totally white looking. I mean, they're kind of Arab looking, basically. And I think also they... Probably they fit in even less than the Eastern European Jews. So I don't, I don't know how long those, or how well those groups all got along. Probably not perfectly well. And then the podcast is talking about the concept of bad Jews, which kind of sounds like bad Jew. Put that down. Like I say, this is a far left podcast. But anyways, they're saying so. A bad Jew used to mean someone who wasn't observant of the Jewish rules. I don't know, like they can't work on Saturday or Sunday, stuff like that. Don't eat certain things, maybe don't hang out with non-Jews. But they bring up a tweet from Ben Shapiro, he's a right-wing commentator, wears a yarmulke. Um, He did a tweet 10 years ago where he said that a bad Jew is, there's always been bad Jews, and today a bad Jew is someone who votes for a Democrat. And I think that's all tied into support for Israel. Um, You know, like if you don't go to Jewish church every week, then you probably, and don't believe in Jewish God, then you probably don't support Israel as much and you're probably more likely to vote for a Democrat. So those things are correlated. And then the opposite would be all correlated. All right, so anti-Semitism is at a high point during World War II, and then it just starts going down real fast afterwards. And the Cold War kicks in in the 1950s, and so you don't want to be a communist, so America becomes more religious. And Jews do the same thing, you know. Americans start going to church, uh, and the Jewish Americans, I guess, start going to synagogue more. And in the early 1900s, Jews are kind of famous for being communists, like, you know, Poland, Russia. I want to keep calling them potato-eating Jews, but I don't think I'm allowed to. I think I'm 1-200th Ashkenazi, which probably not enough. And everyone loves potatoes, but french fries, you need oil. I think, I think they had to boil their potatoes. But anyways, early 1900s, they were famous for being communists and kind of terrorists. They like they like bomb stuff. I think in America a little bit, but especially over Poland, Russia area. But so America, 1950s, they all find religion, and then the Jews outed their communists. Like, you know, if you had some commies in your synagogue, you outed them as commies. And I don't think America was throwing commies in jail back then or anything, but I guess, I don't know, I guess if you had a political job or something, you probably lost it. And Jews have been working on creating Israel, I think since 1890, but after World War II, Americans... American Jews started, uh, they felt bad. They felt bad about the Holocaust, about being safe while all those other Jews got killed. And so they started thinking about being pro-Israel. I think Israel started in like 48 and then 67. Those are the two biggest years. And so they were supporting Israel 
from 48 to 67 and then after 67 they really started to support Israel and I think there's a generational divide so you know if you were a, I don't know 20 years old in 67 whatever generation that is baby boomer there you go a boomer so the boomer Jews supported Israel and then I don't know if it's Gen X or certainly the Millennials they've kind of they've turned on Israel they're like Israel's racist it's bad I mean, I don't know, I'm going to guess if you're under 50 years old, then you're probably going to be anti-Israel, you know, unless you're a religious Jew, etc. I forget the stats, but like the number of Jews who believe God exists is pretty low, at least the ones in America. Ah, uh, yes. And then, so mid-century is when Jews started intermarrying in America. Like the Jews became a people I've mentioned I think around 1200 over in Europe and their DNA is a mix of kind of the left side of Europe, the right side of Europe and North African. And they you know and they 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 got that mix just right in about 1200 and then they kept it the same until 1950 or so. And maybe like Protestant, you know, classic rich white Americans didn't really hang out with the Jews or something because it seems like there's a lot of stories and people whose parents um, were Catholic. You know, one was Catholic, the other one was Jewish. Uh, Bill Maher has parents like that, I believe. And that movie, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, is also a Catholic Jewish family. Good movie, reminder. And so now into the 70s, um, there was two things that Jews were talking about in America, and that was Israel and whether or not there wasn't going to be no more Jews because of intermarriage. And if Margaret was a real person, and if Bill Maher had ever gotten married, that's about the time they would have been in college and getting married, 70s. Alright, so I think the stuff that I've been saying so far is not controversial. I mean, the way I've been saying it probably is, but I mean like the facts and the history and the timeline. So the stuff I'm getting and given here is, a, it's American Prestige Podcast, it's, it's super hardcore far left, and they have this woman on and she wrote the book. She wrote a book called Bad Jews, and her name is Emily Tamkin. And so I'm just going to tell you what she's talking about. Uh, I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I mean... There's going to be some accusations of racism. I don't know if this is like the last 20 years where every accusation against whites is a false accusation or these are accusations from the 50s and 60s. Maybe this is back when they were real. So according to Ms. Tamkin, in the 50s and the 60s, some influential Jews started neocon the neocon thing movement. I don't know. They were the first neocons. Now, neo means new, so it's kind of like new conservative. If you say to me, what's a neocon? I go, oh, that's, that's the Iraq war. Neocons wanted to go to war with Iraq, and man, we did. And neocons today, they love supporting Ukraine against Russia. I mean, they just, neocon just means right wing, loves war. You know, really, really loves war. According to this lady, how it started in the 50s and 60s, I imagine this is, you know, highly educated Jews who are influential in the government and maybe academia. And they started off maybe far left, but pretty soon they became anti-communist and super pro-Israel. 
And I will say, I never heard that neoconism, I guess you call it, uh, was a Jewish thing, but I listened to a podcast called Commentary Magazine, and they're all Jewish, and they're all super hardcore neocons. And I don't agree with them on a lot of stuff, but I'll tell you what, they're definitely not woke. And Tamkin says that, so in the beginning, one of the things the neocons did was they defined themselves as not black, maybe the opposite of blacks. Like they were part of the white elite. They were not black. And then she just moves on. She just says it and moves on. So I don't know. I don't know if I believe that part exactly. I know that Jews were like, you know, Bernie Sanders was marching with, you know, Martin Luther King or something. Jews were very into the civil rights movement back in the, I guess, early 60s. So I don't know if Jews were on both sides of that or it's just 2023. So the people you hate, you just say they're against blacks because then that's, you know, oh, you win. Now you can say whatever the hell else you want about them. All right. So Jews were really prominent in the civil rights movement. I guess maybe they got tired of trying to be like a normal white American and they're like, hey, I'm Jewish. Uh, Everyone's letting their freak flag fly and being the kind of person they are instead of just being a normal American. And so Jewishness kind of came back in the, maybe it's the 70s and the 80s. I want to say in the 90s, a lot of Jews who never went to synagogue started doing that, you know, be like adults. They never went to it in their life and they're 30 years old and now they're going to start going. And this also makes me think of something Glenn Lowry said on his podcast a while back. And so I don't know, I don't know, this maybe it'd be 50s, I'm not sure, but... There was a time when the Jews, like New York and other big cities, so they lived in the big cities, and then they moved to the suburbs. And when they did that, they kept their old buildings and rented those out. So they became landlords. And actually, I don't know if these are the ones that moved to the suburbs, or maybe they stayed there and just moved to a better place in the city and became a landlord, you know, landlords of the ghetto, let's put it. And so Glenn Lowry was describing how Jews, no, how black people in the 60s felt about Jews, which was not super loving them. And that his idea or his possible, you know, partial theory for that reason was in the 60s, there'd be a door. And on one side of that would be a Jew asking for his rent. And on the other side would be a black man without unable to pay the rent. And so Jews had Jewishness and Israel, and those two things were good. And I guess that was up until the millennial generation. I don't know what that is. Born in 88? I'm not sure. And so, you know, being a Jew isn't a good thing that you were fighting for your rights in America. For millennials and younger, uh, being a Jew means you're white. So obviously that's evil. And apparently they had told themselves the story that Israel was a left-wing project which means good and then millennials and younger now israel is a right-wing project so evil and she gives a stat for jewish americans married between 2010 and 2020 a 70 percent chance they married a non-jew so the barbie movie came out it's doing great i'll do the numbers later but my normal take that you know this movie is racist against men and get woke go broke that's not a hot take. That's a lukewarm one. You can, you can hear it when I do the same thing um, with Snow White in this episode. But the hot take, and I got this from Ryan Kennel on YouTube, and I agree, 
is that Barbie is different because it's a girl IP, intellectual property. Like girls played with the dolls. This isn't like taking Star Wars and Indiana Jones and making them feminist or turning all the black people or all the white people black in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Those are all franchi franchises that are based on men liking them in the past. But, you know, I think especially white women going and seeing false, false accusations of sexism against men in Barbie, I mean, I think they're going to eat it up. So the get woke, go broke doesn't apply this time. I mean, if you ask my male fr friends, like, hey, what do you think about a movie that makes Luke Skywalker into a piece of crap? They'd be like, I don't like it. But I think if you ask my female friends, like, hey, what do you think about a Barbie movie? where Ken thinks women are inferior, just like all men do, and he gets a comeuppance, they'd be like, sounds great. And it's kind of like that survey I talk about where they ask people, what's more important, the truth or people's feelings? And two-thirds of women chose people's feelings, and one-third chose the truth, and then it was flipped for men, where two-thirds chose the truth, and one-third chose people's feelings. So I would say straw man arguments about how Men are evil and racist against women uh, probably go over perfect with about two-thirds of women. It would match their feelings. And then Luke Skywalker is a piece of crap. Uh, it's definitely not going to go along with two-thirds of men who like the truth. Luke's, up, until, up until they did that to Luke Skywalker, he was not a piece of crap. That ain't the truth. And I don't know if one-third of men's feelings was like, yeah, let's make him a piece of crap. You know, smash the patriarchy. All right, now let's go back to my boring old takes a little bit, though. So the Barbie trailer, it has a couple scenes that annoy me. One of them is where Barbie is roller skating on the beach in the real world and some man just smacks her on the butt. And you know, that shows you that men are against women, but it's, it's a straw man. Like, you know, how often do you see men just going around smacking women on the butt? Basically, you're like, men are bad. Let me show you. Let me show you this thing that never happens in reality. And the other scene is that Ken doesn't believe that a woman could be a doctor. Again, just, you know, that hasn't, that hasn't been a true kind of thing for a hundred years. Or steel man that, at least 50 years. So, you know, the movie just sets up these straw men, literally men, <laughs> who are the patriarchy and are so blatantly obvious that it proves that the patriarchy is real, so when you smash it, you're great. And then I want to contrast that with The Blackening, which is that movie I talked about, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago. And there's going to be a little bit of spoilers here. I mean, it doesn't really matter for the movie. But the way the movie, you know, the anti-white stuff in the movie, they did it right. Like, you know, the black people thought that white people were, e were evil racists. And that's reality. That's true. The black people think that. It wasn't that they made the, all the white people in the movie actually evil racists. In fact, they didn't. And then the big twist at the end, it's not a twisty movie, so it doesn't matter, was that they thought they were being hunted by evil racists but in fact, it was a black guy all along. I mean, they weren't doing it as a metaphor for black-on-black -black crime or anything, but they could have. It's like that, I guess, horror movie by Jordan Peele called, um, it was called Us. And it was a big hit, and I tried to watch it, and I turned it off. They just, whatever. There was, a, there was some black people, and then every white person was just evil to their core. It had nothing to do with reality. And it's like the Marvel Universe, back when it was good, like, you knew it wasn't real when, like, a 110-pound woman was able to take out 10 giant men using her martial arts. 
You're like, yeah, in this universe, that kind of thing happens. It's understood. But the way that us was doing it, it wasn't like, this is a different reality where, you know, every white person is evil and racist to their core. They were like, this is a different reality where some stuff is not like real. But one of the things that we're taking from the real world is that all white people are evil and racist to their core. And naturally, Jordan Peele, one of his parents is white, which means that he's probably about 63% white, 37% black. And no one hates whites more than white women, so it's probably where he's coming from. Barbie had a $155 million opening weekend, which is absolutely huge. Oppenheimer had $80 million, which is also huge for an R-rated drama. And Sound of Freedom, that kind of anti-woke, anti-child trafficking movie, came in third in its third week, beating out Mission Impossible 7, which came in fourth in its second week. And Indiana Jones was fifth, and it's a flop. It's, I mean, this is, stick a fork in it, it's done. And I will say, Elemental, Pixar, aka Disney, is seventh, and it is holding on really good. I think that's actually a good movie. It's kind of a flop because it cost a lot and it didn't have the big opening that it needed, but many weeks later that, that elemental cartoon is still doing well. Um, I don't know, I think I might check it out. If it sounds like it might be good to you, you might check it out. Apparently people like it. It has legs. And so Barbenheimer, that's what people have been calling this Barbie and Oppenheimer, like two big movies coming out in the same weekend, which normally only one does. They made so much money especially including Sound of Freedom and Mission Impossible, which did, you know, they were, they were not terrible as far as amounts of money. Um, anyways, fourth biggest weekend ever. And the three biggest ones ever were the two Avengers, Endgame and Infinity War, and the, the first Star Wars of the latest trilogy. And so last year, people said Tom Cruise kind of saved the theaters, you know, the actual buildings, with his Top Gun Maverick. Um, this year, if, if anyone saved the theaters, it was Barbenheimer. And on YouTube, what people do is they just read articles written by other people, because that's easy and they're lazy, and I'm feeling the same way. So here's what Deadline said about Barbie. Females under 25 on CinemaScore, 26% of total, gave Barbie an A+. So that's an incredible score. Post-track exits are currently at 89% positive and 79% recommend, with kids under 12 giving it 87% in the top two and a 75% must-see. The largest demo was 18 to 24 years old at 27%. Diversity demos were 42% Caucasian, 29% Latino and Hispanic, 12% Black, and 17% Asian. And so... I'm not going to tell you the you know how that breaks down per capita, but um, what that means is that Latinos and Asians really came out extra for Barbie. Um, everyone did, but especially them. And then whites and blacks, eh, I mean, well, anyways, they came out a lot, but not as much as Latinos and Asians. And I think Barbie was 70% women and Oppenheimer was 65% men. Let me just read you what they said about Oppenheimer. So Oppenheimer, post-track high at 93% positive and a 74% definite recommend, guy leaning at 64%, and 
and the 18 to 24 year olds are the biggest demo at 33%. Diversity is 53% Caucasian, 22% Latino and Hispanic, 9% Black, and 15% Asian other. So whites and Asians were the ones who wanted to see Oppenheimer and Latinos and Blacks, not so much. In particular, Blacks. And the thing that I like to keep track of that the media doesn't mention is overseas versus domestic. And that's because the Black Little Mermaid and then Black Spider-Man 2, they both did good in America, but they kind of flopped overseas. Um, well, they, got, they, got, they made more than half their money in America, which is the same thing as flopping overseas. Anyways, Barbie and Oppenheimer both made more than half their money overseas. So that's just, that's normal. That's what you normally do. And I like to watch that stuff because I believe the studio heads are watching the, that fact and it's going to change with the kind of movies they green light in the future. Although it takes two years to make a movie, so you won't see the changes anytime soon. And so I think we're going to get a bunch of girl toy ultra feminist movies in about two years. They probably will not be good and therefore they will flop. I'm trying to think what that would be, you know, strawberry shortcake, which let me tell you, I made my own strawberry shortcake yesterday. Holy crap, is that good. I mean, the cake, cake itself was store-bought. I mean, everything came from the store. You get the idea. Netflix, Netflix already did the girl from He-Man. Um, is that Sheila? Anyways, they made, they made everyone a lesbian. That was a big flop. Uh, Cabbage Patch was huge. I'm not sure how you turn that into a semi-adult movie. Japan might have some girl stuff. Um, Hello Kitty, I think, sells more product each year than like everything else combined. Maybe more than Disney princesses. Don't quote me on that one, but they do sell a lot of Hello Kitty stuff. Well, we'll be getting announcements. I think they're talking about the, the next Barbie movie being a Ken movie. Oh, I don't know if I mentioned that. Ken is supposed to be the standout. The best Barbie in the whole Barbie movie is Ken. Let's see, what else about Barbie? Um, there's a black Barbie. She's President Barbie. I mean, there's many, many types of bar Barbies and many Kens. Um, someone was complaining that, yes, they did make the black Barbie the best Barbie. They made her president. But in fact, she's a very small part of the movie. So that's racist. And then some Asian guy I was watching, he said, yeah, there's an Asian Ken. But he's like, there's not a single Asian Barbie. Tons and tons of Barbies of everything you know, race, color, creed, religion, I don't know, but not an Asian girl Barbie. And I don't know, it kind of made me sad hearing that. I want to see an Asian Barbie. Disney is wrapping up filming on their Snow White live action movie. And it's in the news because some images from the set were leaked. And it didn't, the costumes didn't look good. Didn't look good. I will say, like, the trailers for the Black Little Mermaid movie, um, they made the movie look like the special effects would be terrible. But I guess they were all right. So, you know, you never know till you see the movie. Or at least some people thought they were all right. And so the main actors were not there. It was stand-ins wearing their outfits, which is Snow White and Jonathan. They've gotten rid of Prince. Is it Prince Charming? I think that's Sleeping Beauty. Anyways, whatever the Prince... Whoever the prince is, he's now Jonathan. And the seven whatevers, uh, their outfits, they look like Renaissance fair, kind of like homeless people. 
People are joking, saying they look like, you know, homeless people from Portland, Oregon. So people were making fun of it. And Snow White, she's played by Rachel's, Rachel Zegler, uh, a Latina, I guess Colombian. I mean, why is Snow White not Caucasian? Because Disney says, fuck white people. <laughs> we've been, you know, we've been wanting to get back at white people a long time. And we're going to do it by making Snow White a Latina. That'll get them. And, you know, why is it a prince? Why is it Jonathan and not a prince? I think that's because they're like, fuck men. We've been trying to get, we've been wanting to get back at men for a long time. Now's our chance, too. We can double it up. And so I'm saying all that stuff as an excuse because I'm just going to tell you what people have been calling the movie. Um, and it's a little bit racist. So I just want to say they're ra- they were racist first. I'm okay. They're, it's 99% their racism making my... 1% racism, okay. I mean, if you're going to do something wrong and your excuse is two wrongs make a right, then just own it. I own it. But so the dwarves are not dwarves. It's kind of funny. So Peter Dinklage, I mean, this is, we don't know for sure, but Peter Dinklage, he's the dwarf or little person from Game of Thrones and many other movies. And he said, you know, it's racist against little people to have seven dwarves in a movie. And I think Disney was like, yeah, we hate white dwarves, so why don't we just make them normal height, diverse, you know, black women. And, you know, it's not all black women. They've got a, they got a black woman one, they got an Asian woman one, they got, I don't know, they got everything. They got everything, I think, except for white men. Actually, that's not right. I'm sure Dopey, the dumb one, will be played by a white man. But so they're not dwarves. They're magical creatures. All right, so Peter Dinklage was saying it's racist against dwarves. And just what's funny about that is that, like, all the little people dwarf actors in Hollywood were like, man, I was really hoping to try and get a role in the new Snow White. And you fucked me. So little people, little people took it in the you-know-what. Reminds me, when I was in middle school, my friend was the shortest guy in school. Um, he's a good guy. He might even be listening. Hey, buddy. But there was two guys in middle school who were the shortest guys. And I can't remember who was actually shorter, but they got in a fist fight over who was shorter. And I think it was because, you know, you, you wanted to be shorter. I don't think they were saying they were like, I'm taller than you. I don't know. I'm not sure which, not sure which direction they were fighting over on that one. But so it's not... Snow White and the Seven Dwarves, uh, you know, what are some other names for it? You got Off-White and the Seven Pronouns. Snow White and the Seven Politically Correct Companions. Off-White and the Seven Diversity Hires. Snow White and the Seven Ethnically Neutral Politically Correct Human Beings. Off-White and the Seven Hobos or the Seven Hippies. And Hollywood has been trying to make Rachel's, Rachel Zegler happen like crazy lately. She's had, she was in West Side Story, which was a humongous bomb, and then uh, Shazam 2, which was a humongous bomb. So, I don't know. She may have like three of the biggest bombs ever, if this bombs. People talk about how white men, you know, like they fail upwards or they get a second chance. I mean, this girl is the epitome of not deserving but getting second chances. And she looks funny. I mean, she's 
I like, you know, I like a smoking hot Latina as much as the next guy, or probably more, but it's not fetal alcohol syndrome, but she's got something going on that uh, doesn't quite do it for me. Did I say that Disney came out and lied and said the movie, the pictures were not from the production? And then they had to walk that back and say, well, it's not, you know, not all of them are the real actors. Some of them are stand-ins. Um, and then, like, you know, they woke, woke media organizations that had published articles saying, you know, right-wing people on the Internet are spreading a conspiracy theory. You know, they went, that was like their headline or something, and they, they went back and quietly changed their headline to whatever. To not saying it was a conspiracy theory, it was a conspiracy fact. Obviously, they did not put it that way. But, you know, the original Snow White is mirror, mirror on the wall, who is the fairest of them all. I guess they'll still be doing that in this one, probably. But anyways, you know, Snow White. Fair means, um, it means either blonde hair or white skin. And whatever, Snow White had black hair. So anyways, it meant, you know, who, who was the whitest? Who had the lightest color skin? That meant you were the fairest, but... You know, fair, you could like you could go to the country fair. When you get on the train, you pay your fare. But there's also, you know, Asians get higher SAT scores than black people. That's not fair. So this Snow White, she's gonna be the fairest of them all, like I don't know, like justice. I think like social justice. And there's video of uh Zegler being interviewed and she keeps saying fearless, fair, brave, and true, like uh, it must be a catchphrase in the movie because she kept say, kept saying it in the interviews. She's like, I'm going to be a, a leader and I'm going to be fearless, fair, brave, and true. And she's like, you know, that's that fairy tale is however, you know, hundreds of years old. It's not, you know, it's not, it hasn't been updated for the modern world, you know, where women are not defined by a man's love. So I think the thing where, well, that's Sleeping Beauty. I was going to say where the prince kisses Snow White and wakes her up. Boy, I, I need to get my fairy tale straight. I think the prince kisses Snow White too. I mean, that's probably a common thing in the old Grimm's fairy tales. Um, anyways, if the way that, you know, the plot is resolved classically is a, is a kiss on, a <laughs> on an unsuspecting princess, then that's not happening. Whatever they're doing, they're doing some feminist thing. Uh, she saves herself and probably the we don't know. Possibly the prince, too. And I think when Zegler first got the role, she went on, what, Insta? Whatever the kids do these days. Um, and she's like, I'm not bleaching my skin. Basically, if you don't like her in that role, you're a racist. And you know, a lot of Hollywood people were calling fans who didn't like their stuff racist. I mean, you know, up until, I don't know, up until maybe six months to a year ago, probably six months. There's been a change, people. And now, in the last six months, so many movies have flopped, or like Snow White, I think Snow White, you know, made a half a billion. It could have made a billion if it if they hadn't done their woke stuff. I meant Little Mermaid. And I bet I'll be saying the same thing about Snow White. But anyways, I think Hollywood people are starting to realize that calling all the fans racist is not the best way to go. And so there was an example of that. There's a superhero movie coming out um, called Blue Beetle. It's from DC, you know, Superman, the Superman universe. And Blue Beetle is a Hispanic superhero, or at least this version of Blue Beetle is. 
I mean, it's kind of like the black Spider-Man where they're not just taking Peter Parker and making him black. There's been multiple versions of Blue Beetle. The one I loved from the late 80s was a white man, but anyways. Anyway, they, they made a Hispanic one in the comics, not in the movie. It's not the movie making the change. The comics made the change, so that makes it more legit. And I don't think anyone's complaining about that part. But anyways, the director went on Twitter, called, out, called all the fans racist, and he was riding high. You know, he was the director of the new superhero movie. And now the projections for that movie are that it's going to be one of the biggest flops ever. And he has locked his Twitter account because, well, because he, doesn't, he, he no longer thinks that calling the fans racist is the way to make money. And reminder, this whole anti-woke against Disney movie thing started with Captain Marvel, the, yeah, the Marvel movie. With, you know, with the girl, the girl, the girl Marvel movie, the first girl Marvel movie. And the actress had made speeches saying, you know, she didn't care what a white man thought about a movie and stuff like that. The movie isn't for you. And Captain Marvel made over a billion dollars. So I think, whatever, Hollywood was like, okay, call everyone racist, make a billion dollars. But now I think the lesson is call everyone racist, lose half a billion dollars. I mean, there's a maximum amount you can lose. You can only lose all the money that you have, so... Otherwise, they probably could lose a billion. Eh, what else? Someone made the point. The, the seven dwarfs, they're not little people. They're dwarves, like, in a fantasy story. You know, they're like elves. Makes me think about how Dungeons & Dragons, like, you know, the company nowadays, has removed orcs or something because... Orcs are like black people. Like, you know, no one on the planet ever thought orcs were the same as black people. And then Wizards of the Coast, the owner, owner of Dungeons and Dragons, was like, we're removing orcs because we don't want to be racist. And people are like, whoa, you mean this whole time black people and orcs were the same? I mean, I played that. I played as a kid. Never, ever crossed anyone's mind. Trust me. Oh, and Snow White... The writer is Greta Gerwig, who is the writer-director of Barbie. So, there's a good chance that this thing will be a feminist, anti-racist fever dream. Oh, I can't remember if I said this, but um, Splash Mountain, you know, like that ride at Disneyland and Disney World, they've ch they said that was, that's racist. Splash Mountain is racist. And so Disney closed it down, and they're reopening it as Tiana's... Well, I don't know what. Tiana's something or other. And Tiana is the black princess from the Princess and the Frog movie. And I guess it's like, you know, maybe Tiana's cafe or restaurant. She's supposed to be like a great chef. I don't, I don't remember that in the movie. I think that wasn't in the movie. Anyway, she's a great chef, apparently. She's a black princess who's a great chef and has a diverse... Prince, maybe. Maybe she's kicking him to the curb. But anyways, Disney put out some promotional videos uh, about Splash Mountain is coming and is going to be open in a few months or something. And they said she was career-oriented. It, it was just a weird thing for the person to say. She, you know, she's going to have her restaurant. She's a great chef. She's career-oriented. So we'll see if little girls everywhere want to buy bed sheets with Tiana on them because... They love career-oriented princesses. Oh, and you know, why is Splash Mountain racist? 
I didn't even notice. I guess it's based on the old Song of the South movie, which wasn't really racist. Whatever. I think it wasn't a racist movie at all. They were like, let's make black people look as good as possible. But having a happy black person in the South, uh, hell, even today, I think that would be considered racist. If you're going to show a black person in the South, the only thing you can show them is being murdered by the cops. That would be Disney's uh, false narrative. So anyways, they're changing the Splash Mountains. Apparently, it's the most popular ride at Disney World, which is the most popular park. So it may be the most popular ride in the world, and they're changing it. So they may get woke and go broke on that. And then they're not changing it in Disneyland Tokyo. I guess Disney's like, those dumbass Asians, they can remain racist. Let's do an Elon Musk update. So Tesla had their second quarter earnings call the other day. They missed their targets, and the stock went down 10%. But it's doing just fine. It went from maybe 900 billion down to 800 billion. So it's still within striking range of a trillion, which is, I think we can all say, is pretty good for a company. The Tesla pickup truck was supposed to start coming out in September, but now it looks more like, whatever, later in the year, but still this year. And SpaceX is still putting stuff back together after the biggest rocket that has ever existed blew up the launch pad on 420. They picked up all the chunks of concrete the sizes of a car that went flying hundreds of yards or meters for you other people. And they just put in um, the upside down shower head that shoots water up at the rocket to try and prevent it from blowing everything apart. So I think things are going good on the rocket front. Now let's say one thing. I was a little depressed because I thought after those giant concrete chunks were sent everywhere, that the FAA, the government, might tell them they gotta stop shooting rockets. It's too dangerous. But in fact, I think always a possibility was that the rocket itself would blow up, which would make the concrete chunks look like nothing. I mean, the thing is a bomb. You know, a rocket is a controlled explosion, and if you do it all, if you light it off all at once, it is crazy. So. I think, compared to the worst, it actually wasn't that bad. So I think the government will probably let them keep going. Plus, you know, rockets, satellites, anyways, all that stuff is important to the military. So Elon Musk actually has a lot of the, no matter how much the woke people and Biden and blah, blah, don't like him, he has the only people above them in his pocket, which is the military. And they want the Space Force to have superiority over China, you know, stat. And then Meta, Facebook, Instagram, they came out with a thing called Threads, which was their version of a, twi- was a Twitter clone, you know, Twitter killer. And if it's going to kill Twitter, it hasn't done it yet. They got 100 million downloads of their app um, on the first day because if you signed into Instagram, it was like, hey, click here to download the Threads app. So it started off big in that way. But... I believe Instagram is for looking at pictures of good stuff. It's feeling good, I don't know, buying stuff, you know, looking better than your friends, trying to outlook good, I don't know, looking good for girls. It's kind of for girls. Whereas Twitter is for, you know, calling people racist and then providing statistics that 
prove that, <laughs> prove that you're not racist, and just, you know, just heated arguments full of hatred, which, you know, is addictive. You know, looking at clothes that you might want to buy is addictive. Calling someone a racist is addictive. But I don't think they're addictive to the same people, so doesn't look like it's going to be a Twitter killer. And I keep hearing woke media people saying that Twitter is dying, and some of them don't use it anymore. I think Twitter's down 5%. I mean, we don't have the real numbers, but something like that. So, seems to be doing fine. It's very hard to start a social media company and get everyone to switch off of one thing to the other thing. You know, even if you're Facebook, it's hard to take down someone. It's better to buy someone. It's kind of like that rocket blowing up, where I'm like, oh my god, Elon screwed up his wonderful rocket company. And then Elon has made all these seeming mistakes at Twitter. It's like, oh, he's ruined, you know, he's ruined Twitter for himself. You know, he's ruined the free speech platform. We'll never have another one again. But the answer is, all that stuff later, uh, Twitter's just down a little bit. Basically, it's fine. And it used to be, if you worked for a woke media company, you had a blue check mark, so you were like a powerful god on Twitter. He took that away, and now you have to pay $8 a month to be a powerful god on Twitter. And so here's a theory. But a lot of wokeness, you know, 2020, actually Trump, all of the anti-Trump, Trump Trump derangement stuff, all the Black Lives Matter, all that crap, calling people racist, um, that was blue checkmark journalists on on Twitter, you know, encouraging each other, working as a group, making all that woke stuff happen. And basically, they can't anymore. They can if they're all willing to pay $8 a month, but they they hate Elon Musk. So they basically have said, I give up all my power. I don't want the power. So that may be a big change in the world, but it's going to take time to see. It's like AI, which we now, it's been over half a year. We'll see what happens. But uh, just like Facebook is now meta, Elon Musk is changing Twitter to X. He owns X.com. That's the parent company. And they just he's, he's in the middle of creating X.AI, which is the AI company. And so Tesla is doing AI with self-driving cars. They're also trying to make humanoid robots. SpaceX is going to provide internet to the world with Starlink, which is satellite internet. And then if you want to train your large language model, which is what the AIs today are, um, Twitter has a lot of people talking to each other. Uh, so that's, you know, that's your training data. Like that's the training data that not every AI company has, at least legally. I think companies are doing it illegally, but if you make them stop, then only one company, X.AI, will be able to train on Twitter. And we don't know, but Twitter may be a better training thing than other stuff because it's conversations. It's people talking back and forth as opposed to just like reading an article that doesn't have replies. And, you know, like the, the best training data is scientific papers or whatever, smart stuff. And Twitter is a lot smarter than Facebook. Like, oh, little Johnny had his tooth out versus you're racist. And then, oh, yeah, well, here's the statistics on black crime in San Francisco. Well, that's just caused by systemic racism. Oh, yeah, well, here's some statistics on you get the idea. Well, that's the update. It makes me think of this thing that I learned that's probably be better if I hadn't learned it, but apparently it's a meme that in the ghetto, people have beeping smoke alarms. And I've installed smoke alarms as an electrician, so I figured I might tell you how it works. 
So smoke alarms are powered on the, you know, the normal house power. You usually put them on a circuit with a bedroom if you're looking for the breaker to actually turn off the power to all the smoke alarms. But what happens if you have a fire when the power is out? Well, that's why they have a battery backup, you know, a nine volt battery. And so basically that's how a smoke alarm can beep at you when its battery is dead. And in fact, it only beeps at you when its battery is dead. That's because it gets power from the house in general. And then when the battery dies, it beeps at you saying, replace me in case there's a fire when the power is out. I guess here's the point. You might think, I'll just wait it out. The battery is low, but when it finally fully goes dead, the thing will stop beeping. But no, it will never stop beeping. Although there is a battery only type of smoke detector for remodels. Uh, anyways, you get the idea. It may never stop. Okay, thanks for staying around to the end of the episode and thanks for listening.